You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, the... Oh, man. An episode of... Duncan and Bo come correct that I feel is going to um, create some of the greatest hand wringing in show <laughs> history. Uh, we have a, a real powerhouse of a show tonight. Um, it, we are doing documentaries and, uh, and we have, we have chosen two that I feel are, uh, are maybe, maybe two of the best movies we've ever done. And uh, uh, co-host Duncan Mm-hmm. Would That's you, myself. Yes. Would you agree that these are these are uh, certainly in the upper echelon, in my estimation, of any uh, of the shows we've done? These are two of the best movies I think we've ever talked about. Uh, yeah, I think that's about as accurate a statement as we can get. Um, I think what's really interesting about this is documentaries. Both of us are are, are big fans of documentaries. Um, I tend to find myself. On occasion, like just gravitating to sit down and ch- maybe it's because we're so heavily involved with with kind of horror movies and things like that. They're so fantastical and so out there that it's good to get a chance to sit down and watch something that's a bit more grounded and at times kind of makes the fiction you've been watching look a bit silly, <laughs> you know, or tame. And um, the last time we did one of these uh, documentary shows. We covered really kind of uplifting subject matter and at the same time kind of juxtaposed it with some of the most, like, heart-wrenching kind of... Uh, I, I got to the point where I, I believe I used the word that I, I questioned humanity's point and purpose on the planet uh, when we when we covered the, um, the act of killing because it was just so... Horrible, and I, I've been looking forward to coming back to do documentaries because I felt then that was probably the best episode we recorded in season one. Um, and after watching the two movies that we've chosen for each other this week, I am almost a hundred percent sure that this show is going to be better. So, um, yeah, just in- incredible material. Um, and the beauty of it is both these movies came out last year. So yeah, 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 yeah. that's what's exciting. This is not as dragging up movies, so obscure the other one. These ones are just literally ones that we hadn't had time to watch um, last year that we both have now watched for the show. And that documentary film style format, if anything, is more exciting now than it's ever been. So very excited. Yeah. So before we get into that, though. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about what we've been, uh, watching of late. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, also in, in the upfront, um, because I, I would have mentioned this otherwise, uh, I've been watching a lot of X-Files in, uh, in preparation, uh, ah. for Duncan and Bo come X-Files, which we will be, uh, recording the first episode of very shortly, uh, so I would just uh, advise our listeners, um, you know, a, a little bit of shameless plugging in the upfront <laughs> that uh, Duncan and Bocum X-Files will be available uh, starting a couple of days following the premiere of the uh, the new X-Files series on the Fox television network. And uh, yeah, it'll be uh, on uh, iTunes and uh, legionpodcasts.com. So um, yeah, check it out. Uh, but 
Um, I only mention that uh, both to plug and also to say I've been watching a, a, a shitload of X Files recently. <laughs> um, so, uh, but what have you been watching? And and the way we do this, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for new listeners, um, we talk about one movie that we've enjoyed that has uh, been meaningful, um, has has provided entertainment or or subject for thought. And then one movie that is uh, disappointing, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Duncan, uh, what uh, of each of those uh, caliber of films have you been seeing? Um, in the good category, I got a chance to check out Room, uh, um, which is up for Oscar contention at the moment um, under, under the best film category and several others. And rightly so, it is an absolutely phenomenal movie just like a tour de force of great storytelling incredible acting dark subject matter and kind of life affirming at the same time um i had get a sneaky suspicion that it's going to pick up the best movie oscar i don't think and in, in my heart it should be the revenant i think the revenant is a phenomenal fucking movie but because that dude picked up an oscar for birdman last year and knowing the Oscars the way that some of us that follow these things know the Oscars, they very seldom tend to give an Oscar out to the same person two years in a row, regardless if the the quality is uh, you know of the, the same calibre or better than the previous movie. They tend not to do that. And it would be my pick for for the next one. Um, Playing the political this. game. I like it, Duncan. Yeah. Uh, what, I, so, what is Room I, about? I, I I I keep hearing about this movie, and I should know more about it, but I I don't even know what the movie is about. So basically, um, the story is about uh, a mother and a son um, who have been abducted and are kept in a room. <laughs> so the, the the kid has Go grown on. up. The kid has grown up all his life um, in this room. And there are comforts associated with being in room um, for him. And it's basically, at some point, I don't want to go too much, giving too much details away, but at some point they manage to escape the room. Um, And it's kind of, the movie is is very much of two halves. The first one is kind of very tense and very loving. towards, you know, the the subject matter of the mother just trying to look out for her child. But obviously, she knows the full gravity of the situation. The kid doesn't, and then apprehension when they do escape. And then just the wonder that the kid goes through when he realises what's actually outside of the room. Um, it's based on a novel, and it's... it's I really can't say, like, enough good things about it. The director, Lenny Abrisom, I think that's... I think that's his. Um, is you know he's, he's really crafted something which has a very indie aesthetic, has a very indie feel to it. But um, you've got like a powerhouse performance by Brie Larson, who is incredible in this movie. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. Um, everything going the way it should. She should pick up the Oscar for best actress. Uh, and it's just, it's very weird to describe. Um, but it's an incredibly engaging movie. Uh, it's just about the two-hour mark and um, in length, and I could find no faults at all in it. I just thought it was an incredible movie, and when it finished, I just had this kind of this kind of weird sense of optimism, <laughs> which I don't get when I watch many movies, Bo. Uh, 
So yeah, I just just an incredible movie. If you've not checked it out yet, get on it. Um, it's just made its way. I think I said on the previous show, this is about the time of year where all the movies that haven't already played in the UK that are up for Oscar contention get released in the window of January, February time. They get fired through here very, very quickly so people can check them out. Um, and it's incredible. So yeah, can't see enough good things about how amazing that is so yeah check it out if you've not seen it yet boy you're gonna love it <laughs> brie larson star of the upcoming kong skull island for what it's worth <laughs> is she yeah yeah oh that's quite interesting <laughs> yeah that uh, you know not not to take away from uh the room which sounds really art not the room that's a, a different kind of movie altogether and uh wonderful in its own right but uh uh not to take anything away from room but Kong Skull Island, I think, is a fascinating movie because every time I hear something about it, it's about just utter turmoil with that production. Yeah, um, yeah. I've not heard any positive things coming out at all, which is worrying. Yeah, I wish uh, the the news I really want to hear out of that is we have uh, we we we've done away with CGI. We're not even doing practical effects. We just created a giant monkey, mm-hmm. and <laughs> then you know. I don't know if you know this about me, Duncan. I enjoy monkeys, and the bigger a oh, monkey yes. you can give me, the happier <laughs> I am. We 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 have covered that on season one of Duncan and Volcan Correct over about three or four episodes. Uh, yeah, there, uh, there is a real lack of monkey news in season two, and I that is my fault. I take full responsibility <laughs> for that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to I'll try to do better. Uh, hopefully, the X Files <laughs> will bring us a monkey based episode. Oh God, it should. If ever there was a time to do it, it's on that show. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Okay, so Room sounds great, um, and I I will seek it out. Um, On the other hand, Duncan, what -hmm. have you been watching that uh, maybe not so good? Um, This one has a lot of things that I think are amazing about it, but unfortunately a couple of things which drag it down, and it's upsetting for me to say that because... It was a movie that I didn't manage to catch last year. It's now made its way over to Netflix in the UK, so I was quite excited to check it out. It's the directorial debut of a certain actor called uh, Ryan Gosling, and it was Lost River. And I was really looking forward to seeing this movie because, obviously, Gosling, um, to the best of my knowledge, financed the project himself, uh, was was integral in, in terms of the, the, the story behind it. Um, I think he was even involved as far as helping choose a casting, which has an incredible cast of Sasha Ronan, uh, Christina Hendricks, Eva Mendes, uh, Ben Mendelsohn, um, Matt Smith. You know, t- t- really good names are attached to this project. And <coughs> it's, I mean, Gosling's worked quite closely with uh, Nicholas Winden Reffin um, on a couple of projects. And I get the feeling that they are kind of kindred spirits. So. When I had read reviews where people had compared it to a kind of, it was like a softer wind and reffing sort of movie, I was incredibly excited to check this out. And visually, it's probably one of the most beautiful movies I've seen in a long time. I think it's stunning. I think it's shot beautifully. Um, The attention to the colour palette, you know, everything just makes it great. And the story itself is actually not bad, except that. At times, it just meanders, like, horribly, um, and really struggles with focus. Um, 
and I don't know if you know it, it definitely has kind of art house leanings. It's kind of art house tropes and and leans into that, which I love. I mean, I love art house cinema. But when I look at something like A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is an art house movie, which has you know leans on its art house tropes while still trying to deliver like kind of a story which has a kind of powerful base and the actors which are excellent in it. Um, and that one's that one doesn't have the benefit of color palettes and black and white. It's difficult for me to see how Ryan Gosling managed to get so many things wrong. Um, in terms of that, there is no real attention to story at all in this in this movie. Um, and I know some people may argue, well, that's art house, but I would disagree with that. Uh, art house cinema is at its best and at its strongest when it is conveying a message. You just have to dig down to find out what it means, or you put more of yourself into it to get more out of it. Right, right. And Lost, Lost River doesn't have that. It, it has this, it has this feel of this very beautiful looking house that you drive past and you're like, I want to, you know, I would love to live in that house. Um, and then one day you save up enough money to buy said house and you drive past it. It's beautiful from the outside. And when you open it, you realize it's just a shit heap. Um, and that's not to say that the movie is a shit heap. It's just disappointing. And I, I, that kind of weighed more on my, if I hadn't have thought this movie was going to be as incredible as I hoped it was going to be, I don't think I would have reacted as badly to it. Um, but by the time it was finished, I just, I kind of let out a sigh, and it wasn't one of those, <sighs> you know, happy sighs. It was kind of like, uh, it just didn't deliver what I wanted it to deliver. It certainly has me excited to see what Gosling goes on and does next. But I feel had you given that to like a, a Nicholas Winden Reffin and given him the option of making the movie, I think he would have been a bit tighter with the story and brought more to it. Um, it still is beautifully shot and the score is amazing. Like all the aesthetic points I usually like about movies are there. It's just a shame that the story wasn't for me. Um, kind of lacked in that department. And when you're left with just something that's very pretty to look at, you kind of, especially when you've got actors of the calibre they had in there, you kind of want to see them act a bit more, and that just never happened. So, not a yeah. terrible movie, just not the movie it should have been. Yeah, that's a real bummer. I, 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 That's one that, you know, obviously has been on our radar for a while, and I just haven't gotten around to seeing, but... Uh... Uh, that's disappointing. I still, I still kind of want to see it just for the, the aesthetics. And, yeah, and definitely check it out and go in with what I've said. Just don't expect. See, I was expecting this incredible story and and all the rest. And if that's not there, I think if I walked in with this idea that it didn't have that, I would have enjoyed the movie a lot more. Okay. All right. Well, um, Duncan, let me let me turn you on to uh, something I enjoyed. If you oh, haven't right. seen it yet, um, I'm gonna uh, break. Break the rules a little bit because that's, <laughs> that's what we do here in the U.S., Duncan. We we thumb our nose at authority. Well, it's not breaking the rules; you just change them. Yeah, well, that's true, and and usually in our favor, uh, which right. is which is why I'll win this episode. Um, <laughs> because it turns out not only do we have to decide who has actually come most correct in in recommending the uh, the better film, but it has to uh, be about stand up comics. So uh, I should have mentioned that to you in the rules earlier. <laughs> I didn't. That's my fault. But that's that's what we're doing. Um, <laughs> so this isn't a movie. 
but I feel like I should recommend it to you regardless Mm -hmm. and our listeners. So I have been watching um, a new television show on uh, the Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, yeah. Uh, Not necessarily the home of quality programming in the past, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) um, it is called The Expanse. Oh, I've never heard of this. And it is a a science fiction story that is based on a series of books, is my understanding. I've never read any of the books. But uh, The Expanse is, it, it takes place in a future in which humanity has begun colonizing the solar system. Mm-hmm. There are, uh, you know, people on Earth still. Uh, the moon is largely colonized um, and is owned by the Earth. The uh, Mars is being terraformed and has broken off into its own republic, a sovereign nation, essentially, right. or sovereign planet. And in between is an asteroid belt that is mined for things like ice and oxygen and things like that. And they provide both Earth and Mars uh, resources, and they're a protectorate of the Earth, but are leaning towards independence as well. Mm-hmm. And um, there, are, there are like definite socioeconomic structures. Like Mars is a bit more Spartan. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a society with a unified purpose of terraforming this planet, and it's a little more militaristic um, because they're you know building up this huge like space fleet, and Earth is a little more uh, sly in its dealings with, with Mars and, and the belters is what, uh, the people who live in the asteroid belt are called. And there's a bit of a, uh, a mystery that winds its way, uh, through about a, uh, a missing girl who may have been affiliated with the separatists who, who live in these asteroid belt stations. And it is fascinating. It is like legitimately good science fiction. Um, all the spaceships, look very utilitarian. It reminds me a little bit of Alien in the ship design, mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh, well, this is what you need um, to, you know, to traverse space, at least on a, you know, galactic, not galactic level, but a solar system level. And there's not like, hey, we're going to go to hyperspace and jet into, you know, the next, uh, like into Alpha Centauri or something. It's all like surprisingly local and that I think ends a little bit of an air of credibility about it because it's just like, okay, well it's two planets and these asteroids. And then there are ships that will go out further into the solar system, but none of that stuff is habitable because it's all like gas giants and stuff like that. So the only planets that are really in play here, uh, at least at the moment in the, in the show are earth and Mars and Mars Mm. isn't great. You know, like it's, it's getting there, but you don't spend a lot of time there and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, it's really fascinating. There's a political element to it, uh, because there is this, um, cold war between earth and Mars that may be heating up because of the destruction of a ship that is kind of blamed on Mars, but maybe they didn't do it. And it's, it's really interesting. And I'm not the biggest science fiction fan in the world. Um, you know, I, I don't dislike science fiction, but I think there's a lot of crappy science fiction about, Mm -hmm. and this show has engaged me in a way I would not have expected. It Uh, sounds really interesting. Like there seems like there's a couple of elements in there that 
that have kind of piqued my interest. I grew up on sci-fi, so I was a huge fan of like everything from the really cheesy. I think we've talked about Lex before on here, but things like Babylon Five, um, you know, Star Star Trek. Um, but you know, I grew up on on things like Dune as well. I read like the Dune books and that growing up. So it sounds like there's a bit of everything in there. So that seems really yeah. interesting. And Thomas Jane is one of the main actors who I, oh, I like. Excellent. He yeah, yeah. Uh, he plays a bit of like a hard boiled detective who basically works for a the security agency that's hired by Earth to maintain order on um, basically a you know like a personal police force. Mm-hmm. Owned by Earth to make sure that the uh, the uh, asteroid station series is the name of it um, isn't doesn't get out of control and he's the one that's kind of looking for this lost girl and um, like uh, one little detail I'll touch on and then I'll shut up about it um, is because it's set far enough in the future that people have been born and raised on this uh, series space station in mm-hmm. the asteroid belt um, they are much taller. Because oh, right. gr- because gravity didn't have the same effect, but um, you know, so they're they're taller and their bones are a little bit weaker and their musculature is a little stretched out. Mm-hmm. And there is a scene where one of uh, one of these guys who uh, was born on the series station is intercepted by some uh, security forces on Earth as a suspected terrorist, and the way they torture him is to not give him drugs to manage the pain of Earth's gravity on his on his body. And, ah. Right. And it was like, oh, well, I guess that would be a, a natural side effect of growing up in that environment, as we've seen with like people who spend ex- extended time on the space station and stuff like that. And, yeah, so torture for them is just, here. here is the natural gravity of Earth. And it, it, it pains them. And uh, anyway, it really a lot of really interesting ideas in the movie, in not in the movie, but in the series. So, mm-hmm. um, I uh, I recommend it uh, not just to you, but I think you would enjoy it. And I think it's six or seven episodes deep at this point. Um, so you know, there's a good opportunity to to binge watch a few. Uh, I think yeah. the the first episode or two are a little bit slow because there's so much world building going on. Um, but the the past few that I've seen have been really intriguing, and and the story is starting to explode outward in a way that I'm I'm really excited about. Um, so yeah, so you should watch The Expanse. But let me tell you what I watched that uh, no one should ever watch. <laughs> uh, and and you've seen it. That's that's the real crime here. Oh no, you didn't. Is no 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 I didn't oh, no. I, I watched Revenge of the Sith again, oh, no. <laughs> and for everyone who says like this is the good prequel movie, that's just like saying this is the least stinky pile of poop. Exactly amongst piles of poop, that is a terrible movie. It really is, and. <laughs> Like even the even the one thing that people point to, uh, which I think is the uh, the lightsaber fight on the lava planet for no good reason, mm-hmm. um, th- you know they're like, well that that lightsaber battle is really cool, and I agree it is for the first five minutes of it. Yeah. And at a certain point, it's just like, will you stop this already? 
Like, yeah. you know, there. I, I always think of the uh, the lightsaber battle in Jedi uh, mm-hmm. between Luke and Darth Vader, which isn't technically all that exciting. You know, there's not a whole lot of jumping around and stuff. It's just Luke Skywalker being pissed as hell and just battering somebody with a lightsaber. And it's awesome for that reason. You know, there's this emotional, uh, uh, like, uh, such an emotional motivation for him to just lose his shit on Darth Vader for a minute. And it's great. Um, And this just feels like when they're hopping around on the little lava droids and all that stuff, it's just like, ugh, this just has no emotional weight. Hayden Christensen is worse in it than you remember. <laughs> I love those articles that came out to say why he took a break from Hollywood after doing uh, <laughs> the Star Wars movies and things like that. You know, I just didn't want to be associated with that character. And I thought, yeah, it had nothing to do with how bad an actor you are. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the one role I think uh, I could recommend him in is My Life as a House. I was about to say, you know what, he's he's like Keanu Reeves, but with none of the charm. Right, with none of the (laughs) action chops and and, and brooding looks that give him some gravitas. Um, Exactly. He's like, like, someone thought it was a great idea to center, like, this character around a kind of, like, an awkward teenager going through puberty, as if anyone wanted to see that. Oh, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to go in my room. I'm not gonna. It, yeah, just the amount of whining he does throughout that movie, like, it drains Darth Vader of any sense of, of like, being ominous. Because under the hood, then, I mean, if we're taking the prequel trilogy into account, under the hood, Darth Vader is just this whiny little brat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, Kylo Ren is the, white, the right way to do that character. Exactly. And... You know, in George Lucas, God bless him, you know, he gave us a lot of great entertainment. Um, the prequels do not count among that. Um, <laughs> and Revenge of the Sith, I, I, I went back and watched it because I uh, I had enjoyed um, Force Awakens. You know, we've talked about my issues with that movie uh, mm-hmm. aside. I still think it's a good movie. I, I, I think it's really good and entertaining and, and definitely has the sense of being a Star Wars film. Exactly, yeah. So, for all my complaints with it, at, at the end of the day, it feels like it's part of that franchise in a way that the prequels never do. Yeah. And, it's, uh, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's the frustrating thing about that one, in particular that one, is that's the one that leads into New Hope. Yeah. So that's the one that you really need to get right. You can, you can afford to be a bit goofy, with the two before that, because we have one movie that will tie it all in. And it feels, the tie-in feels incredibly rushed at the end. It's like we spend a huge amount of time really dealing with a lot of stuff no one really wants to see on the screen. And in the last five minutes, oh, there's two babies, one's getting shipped here, one's getting shipped here. Yay, it's a new hope. Um, and it just, it, it never felt at any point, to, to me that the, the prequels feel like an idea which at first they make the, it kind of almost feels like people climbing up a snowy mountain and they put a foot wrong and it kind of kicks off a little snowball which starts to roll down and get bigger and bigger and bigger and that's the problems of that that entire uh, prequel trilogy is that the snowball gets bigger by the time it gets to the third one there's no way they can stop They've done so much wrong, there's no way they can really course-correct that ship. And it just it, it ends up with 
with no impact. No impact at all. You think about uh, Empire Strikes Back, the big I'm your father scene. And the first time you watched that, people were like, oh, my God. There's n- uh, there is not one scene in any of those prequels where you feel the same way. Like you feel like you've been given a bit of knowledge, which is, oh, my God. You know, or, or anything at all that makes you like any character. <laughs> so yeah, it's, oh, yeah. They're, all, they're all vacuous as fuck. It's terrible. And, yeah, I don't know if the reveal of Palpatine as the Emperor was supposed to be a surprise. <laughs> because they kind of play it that way, but it's like he looks like the Emperor from the first movie. From the first time you hear his voice, you're like, yeah. oh, you're the, you're the Emperor. <laughs> um, the Yeah, and his little battle with Yoda is so CGI and ridiculous that... It's it's frustrating. Yeah, it's it's a terrible, terrible movie. And if, like I said, I, I almost do this as a public service. If you're one of those people that says, you know, it's it's the best of the prequels, you're not wrong about that. It is the best of the prequels. Yeah. But stop saying that because that implies that it's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not. It, it just say tell people this is the least worst of the movies. And yeah. that's the way to phrase it, because there's no good to be found among the prequels. There are glimpses of a movie that might have been interesting, but, um, yeah, it's, and another thing, Duncan, this really bothers me. So, um, C3PO and R2D2 were essentially the witnesses at Darth Vader's wedding. <laughs> Why doesn't he ever acknowledge that? You like, and, and you know, somebody smarter than me has said this, but it's like when George Lucas did the prequels, he didn't bother to go back and watch, you know, like Star Wars and Empire and Jedi, mm-hmm. just to make sure it all matched up. Yeah, because there, there's so much stuff in those movies that's like, well, then this doesn't make any sense now. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, God. It's, it's, it's really frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. And then it's like they try and nod to certain characters as if that's like the whole uh, kind of Boba Fett's father thing, which really doesn't go anywhere. Um, you know, yeah. like it's it's, it's like I, I don't understand the point of that other than reminding me that there's three infinitely better movies which came out three decades before that I could sit and watch. You know what I mean? That's, yeah, and there's no reason there is no reason for Chewbacca to be in that movie, and he is, and that's yeah. stupid. It's stupid. It's like if you're going to do a prequel, if you're going to do a prequel, anything you you are afforded, you know where your movie. If anything, you know where your movie ends, which is like from a filmmaking point of view is a benefit because a lot of people that are writing stories and all the rest, they don't know how they're going to end things. You know, they, they have to come up with an original end or anything. That pressure is taken off you as a filmmaker when you go to do those three prequels. It's, take, it's taken off your shoulders. You don't need to worry about that. You know how the movie finishes. All you have to do is make sure the pieces slot into how the, you know, how the movie finishes. That's all you have to do. And they don't do it. They rush it at the end. They forget about things to do, um, they introduce characters as a way just to kind of remind you that you're watching a Star Wars movie, which they shouldn't fucking have to do. It's just, yeah. And that, oh, I'm sorry. No! It's the yeah. worst thing in the history of Star Wars. It's, it's really bad. Have, yeah. I could not have killed Paddleman. I am Darth Vader. No! Fuck off! Uh, yeah. 
It's, it is an infuriatingly bad movie. And I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I think Attack of the Clones is worse. Yeah, as, yeah. But <laughs> you, you, there's nothing good about either of these movies. It, it, the, I, all right. The lava lightsaber battle has a, a few minutes there where it's like, oh, okay. All right. So this is a Star Wars movie. I'm in, I'm in again, uh, for yeah. a minute, but like that three minutes of film is not enough to to warrant the just mound of fertilizer that surrounds it. It is awful. Um, so. I just remember, oh, you know, you know, you know exactly the point that Attack of the Clones can burn in hell for all eternity is. Oh, Master Yoda. I say we have to solve this with the battle of the lightsaber. And you're like, no, Christopher Lee, no. Yeah. No CGI Christopher Lee. See, if you have to CGI Christopher Lee, you need to go and fuck yourself, George Lucas. You feel ashamed. At, at least it looked like when you were watching Lord of the Rings, at least it looked like Christopher Lee was getting swung about the place again. Or actually, at his frail age in 93, was actually getting hit. You know, it was real Christopher Lee. Ah, well, oh, it's so... Fr- You've angered me before the show, Bo Rans, though. How yeah. dare you, sir? And... Uh, and the fact that Christopher Lee dies in the first five minutes of Revenge of the Sith, yeah. it's like this is the best villain you've had in, in the movies thus far. Mm-hmm. And you're killing off the, the one character that I could be interested in. Yeah, and replacing him with a, a CGI robot. Nice. Right, well that has no backstory. I don't know who this is. You're talking about General Grievous like he's a thing. Yeah. And I don't give a shit about this lightsaber-collecting robot. Um, uh, so to encapsulate, uh, the, the past few minutes, the expanse, really good science fiction, uh, revenge of the Sith, uh, possibly in the bottom 3% of all science fiction. (laughs) So, you know, definitely check out the expanse. I'll be curious if if you get into it. I think it's, uh, you've definitely put on my list. It sounds like a lot of things. And while we're talking about TV shows that we have talked about before on this show or things that people should check out somehow, they sneakily managed to release on Blu-ray in my country, the return season two. That is the thing. Oh, really? Okay. It is, it is out. It has played. It is out and never made its way to TV in my country for the second season, which is very strange, but the full second season is out in Blu-ray, so big fan of that first season, so can't wait to check that out as well. So hopefully yeah. I'll, I will have checked that out by the time we do our next show and I'll give a little report on it. So Yeah, keep me posted. I'm, I, I really, really like the first season of that show. Mm-hmm. But Duncan, let's turn our, our, our eyes from the things that are fanciful... <laughs> Uh, things that are, uh, are fictitious mm-hmm. and, and turn, uh, instead towards documentaries, uh, which, as you said in the upfront, we both genuinely enjoy. My pick, uh, for you is the first film we're going to talk about this week. And it is, um, uh, no need to hide the, uh, the headline here. It, it, it's a movie called Call Me Lucky. It is directed by Bobcat Goldthwait, who, uh, a, a filmmaker I have recommended prior, uh, to, uh, this episode on this show. Um, mm-hmm. I really like Bobcat Goldthwait as a director. Um, even when he does things that maybe don't land with me, I think they're always fascinating experiments in film. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and in this case, he is, uh, he, the subject matter of his film is a, a friend and maybe mentor of his, uh, a stand-up comic named Barry Cremens. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, the stand-up comedy scene, especially, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties, when it was really taken off in the U S and Barry Cremens was sort of the grand poobah of a, a place called the Ding Ho, which was a Chinese restaurant where in the basement, uh, a lot of very influential stand-up comics would perform, uh, including like Stephen Wright and Dennis Leary and, you know, a lot of Boston stand-ups that came up through there, Dana Gould, um, so the, it is par- partly a documentary about Barry Crimmins and his brand of stand-up comedy, his influence on the American comedy scene, and then it takes a very sharp turn, uh, as does Barry Crimmins' own life, as he reveals uh, a, that he was molested as a child, and this launches him on a crusade that makes up the back end of the film uh, in which he is... Uh, uh, trying to uh, to help survivors of the same kind of abuse he suffered, um, it is I think a, a a supremely entertaining, very funny at times, and and just heart wrenching documentary. Um, it, it is a very personal film, uh, unlike the the film we're going to be talking about later, in that it deals very specifically with uh, a tragedy that one person suffers, and and I like to believe. Uh, translates that suffering into something that is incredibly positive. Um, so before we get into uh, your take on Call Me Lucky, um, here is a brief clip from the film uh, in, in which um, we discuss, uh, or we hear discussed, uh, Barry Crimmins' influence on, uh, on comedy. He was a guy who you heard about before you actually saw him. This whispered about presence I never met anyone like him. Went to Kentucky. I got into a big hassle. I got caught smuggling books into Kentucky. <laughs> got off on a technicality. No one could prove they were books. Barry Crimmins was uh, this weird mythical force that uh, was a judgmental sage of some kind that you know I didn't quite get. You know, in the 80s and 90s, there was like this this wave of comedy that was the truth teller. But I feel like people should claim him more because I think he has much more of an influence than anybody realizes. I all right. One last thing, and then I'll shut up. Originally, <laughs> I, originally, I had recommended to you the sequel to The Act of Killing, mm-hmm. um, which is a, uh, a documentary called The Look of Silence. And it is, it's a really good documentary. I I recommend that as well. Um, This was sort of a zero hour change for me because after seeing your recommendation to me, I felt like it was, it would be nice to juxtapose something that, that was less kind of universal and less about uh, culture and do something that was about just a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, rewatching it, I was like, man, I was right. This is one <laughs> of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Um, so Duncan, what did you think about, uh, Bobcat Goldthwait's Call Me Lucky? Well, you're right in saying that he is a name that has appeared on this show before. In fact, he's appeared twice before, Bo, um, cause we covered Willow Creek. Oh, I think that was in our very first episode. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. We did Willow Creek, and then not that long after it, um, in season one, we did World's Greatest Dad. Which is a fantastic movie. Which is also a very good movie. So we were in this position, I remember when we were talking about Willow Creek, and you told me that the next thing he was going to do was a documentary um, about this kind of local comedy legend um, and that kind of take on the kind of personal struggle of his life. That at the time I remember saying, that sounds really interesting, and then I forgot all about it. I completely forgot all about it. Um, and it what just I'm here so for, ha- Duncan. <laughs> it just so happened, very luckily, that when you suggested this movie, it had just come on Netflix in the UK. I think it's been on for about two, three weeks. Um, a lot of documentaries are finding their way over just now because, once again, Oscar season. Um, a lot of the documentaries that are up for Oscars have made their way over to Netflix on the uh, in the UK. So uh, I was looking forward to this one. I am not as big a fan of Bobcat Goldthwait as yourself. However, I will say that I do find him an incredibly fascinating filmmaker who definitely takes... He's not a filmmaker that you could levy the charge of Well, he just kind of makes the same movie over and over again. He certainly tries to push himself as a filmmaker, whether that's the subject matter that he covers, the story he's telling, or his very kind of, at times, kind of microscopic sort of critical satire look at America, whether that's how they treat their dead, um, or in the case of this one, kind of harnessing the the life story of what I would say is one of... I wasn't aware of Barry Crimmins <laughs> at all. Uh, he's not a name that I've ever come across. Uh, I would say that the name that kind of... Having watched a couple of minutes of his stand-up right at the start, what it evoked to me was someone like Bill Hicks, who I'm a huge fan yeah. of, yeah. massive fan of Bill Hicks. He's arguably in my top five comedians of all time. Um, and Hicks himself was not necessarily beloved in America until after his death, but was loved in the United Kingdom just because he did a style of comedy which was very kind of... It was focused on the flaws of where he came from, and that's kind of the comedy that was quite... That sort of thing gravitates in in Europe especially, but gravitates really well in the UK. So he kind of had this element of hicks about him, but it was far angrier. I mean, this this guy has rage, which I love. I loved about him. I thought, um, before we get right into to the story, I'll just say upfront and honest, I, I think Barry Crimmins is an incredible, not just comedian, but incredible thinker. I mean, the way he delivers, he, he seems to be able to get to the point very quickly without any need for bullshit. It's just direct truths and it's line for line direct truths. And some of his one-liners in here are absolutely amazing. Uh, one of my favourite lines in the whole movie is, uh, you know, I am whatever threatens you. I'm a communist with AIDS and I bite. Um, <laughs> what, I, I, what, what other uh, bit I will add to that, uh, which that is very funny, but I also like, and this is very early on in the documentary, when he uh, he says, you know, I really only want two things and I can die happy. Yeah. And, and that is the downfall of the United States government, the overthrow of the Catholic Church, and that's yeah. all. That's, that's, that's all he wants. That's all yeah. he wants. Um, so I think he's, I think he, 
when we meet him, he's a very intense performer. And if you don't, if you didn't know anything about him beforehand, like I didn't, um, when you find out what happened to him as a child, it very, very quickly joins up the dots of why he is so angry. You know what I mean? He has, he's had to live with this this molestation as a child, um, which he's grown up with, and then obviously he, he certainly, without out and out saying it. Uh, he certainly intimates that there was a misplay by the church as well, which has certainly shaped his his view of that. And just the documentary kind of covers, like Bo was saying, two specific aspects. One is the rise of Barry Crimmins as uh, a comedian, kind of covering where he came from, his involvement in this this kind of this building up of this underground level of of uh, comedians that started to bustle up. A lot of these names have went on to much bigger and greater things, um, but all very much kind of focused back on the fact that they would never have got where they had have got had it not been for Barry Crimmins giving them a shot. Uh, and Bobcat Goldthwait came up through that. So it's I think it's quite interesting that Goldthwait, at the stage that he is at as a filmmaker has then went back to shine the light on someone who gave him the foot up in order to get to the position that he's in to make the movies that he's making. I think that's I think that's quite a nice thing that he's done there. Um and we we get this this really cool kind of aspect of, of him as a comedian and how he just like set he was so dangerous and so volatile and then he just disappeared and he doesn't really do much in the way of comedy anymore and he lives out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, likes chopping wood and, can, you know, just get, keeps himself to himself. Although later on we see that he has a lot more friends um, that, that, you know, the, maybe the documentary at the start kind of plays on. And then it takes a very, very sharp twist in the middle where on one stage performance he basically kind of drops a curtain a bit to reveal that he was sexually molested um and raped as a as a as a child. And from that point the movie instead the movie kind of pulls on the heartstrings in a way which you do just kind of feel yourself kind of your stomach kind of sink and it's quite a shocking thing to hear and certainly the way that he the way that he talks about it um the kind of the strength in his convictions now as an adult looking back on it um, and how that shaped what he went on to do after the comedy which to me is the most interesting part of the documentary um, is how he was a, a, certainly an activist but an activist doesn't really do justice to his involvement with the, the kind of birth of the internet chat room um, and how he ended up in front of Congress um, arguing for, for for what we would now class as... I mean, these are things that, you know, internet... Internet is, is an open expanse of, of knowledge and porn and, and all that sort of thing. It is out there for anyone to check about. But, the, you know, when we hear about it now... There's not a month that goes by where we don't hear of the police like creating a sting which captures some group of paedophiles or you know people that are passing child pornography or whatever. You know these things are constantly looked at with this very critical eye, and I just get the feeling that it would have taken a lot longer for the uptake if he hadn't 
got involved the way he did, which was basically very much like to catch a predator um, posed as a child online and got these people to send him stuff um, via images and then brought this to AOL, who were the big supplier at the time, who basically disregarded it. They weren't interested in it at all. Um, regardless how many email, well, emails, telephone calls, they just didn't care. So when it finally comes to Congress, and AOL kind of look, their representative kind of looks like he's going to kind of brush things under the carpet, and then Barry Crimmins just unleashes like evidence after evidence, and I've done this and I've done that, and and you can see that the the people in Congress, these politicians, actually kind of looking at each other as if to say, who who is the who is this guy? Who's this guy with a beard? Um, yeah, and his Grateful Dead tie. And, yeah, uh, as, in, as a part of that scene, um, w- one of the brilliant things I think about Barry Crimmins is that he is writing uh, like his account of this and narrating this scene. And he, uh, part of it is like him t- describing the sort of uh, joyful ignorance that, that the senators have about the internet. Yeah. And he says, for example, Strom Thurmond, uh, t- pterodactyl, South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, his description of Strom Thurmond as a pterodactyl is one of my favorite things in the movie. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, I'm sorry. Like, I just don't want to lose the thread that despite the heavy subject matter, there oh, are these... Oh, it's incredibly funny. Yeah. It's incredibly funny. And the reason it's incredibly funny is because he, like you say, he's narrating it. Uh, he gives you his own insight, and he's a comedian first and foremost, a very, very biting, very funny comedian. Um, and so his involvement with that, um, his involvement with p- political activities um, is really fascinating. But the, the genius of this documentary, and I, we'd spoken, I think we spoke on a grave shift, which is still to appear, um, and we've spoken offline about this. Um, this is by quite a bit Bobcat Goldthwait's best thing to date, and I think it's, he has captured everything perfectly. There is a narrative through line here, which is, like, sometimes documentaries can lose you for a bit, but will pull you. That doesn't happen in this one. It just keeps you engaged all the way through. And it, it's mostly down to the, the central character. Um, Barry Crimmins is an incredibly fascinating person. He's the sort of person that I could probably meet in a bar and sit and drink with all day and just let him do all the talking. Uh, there was a never-ending never supply of interesting stories and anecdotes and just his outlook on the world, which is incredibly... It's a, it's a very cynical point of view, but when the more he spoke, the more I realised that me and him are certainly in agreement with a lot more things than we disagree on. Um, I, I, too have a very cynical view of of government and its its place and its purpose and um I just found it incredibly funny. Um but at the same time it really does take you through a roller coaster of emotions, um, which all good documentaries should. And Bobcat does very little in the way of of in- involving himself in it, other than to kind of tell a couple of stories about when he met Barry Crimmins, um, and kind of at the end, where, where he kind of appears at the end, where people once again are telling stories about Barry Crimmins. But what he does is he he allows the the story to unfold, and then he directs it in a way which 
is is incredibly engaging and captivating. And yeah, I I, I genuinely think um, is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. I think it's I think it's absolutely incredible. I think there is so much of of Crimmins which is left that I would want to know more of and that's the, the hallmark of any great documentary or any great movie is the ability when it finishes to then do some personal research um, which is this is certainly done I, I genuinely thought it was an incredible movie um, for for the sake of uh, full disclosure mm-hmm. uh, Barry Crimmins follows me on Twitter I don't want you to treat <laughs> me any differently uh, or, or did that may have, that may have changed? Uh, but um, yeah, when this movie came out, uh, and and I saw it pretty quickly because I am a fan of of, of Bobcat Goldthwait. Um, I I saw the movie, and as soon as I did, it just I mean it it this movie hits with a, a gut punch, but it, it's not manipulative. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just here are the facts of the case, and it, it's hard not to be affected by it. And, uh, so I, you know, I've thrown out a, a tweet, a tweet to, uh, to Bobcat Goldthwait and Barry Crimmins, who does, you know, ask every day to be excommunicated on Twitter, which is great. Um, and, uh, but I got a very nice tweet in response from Barry Crimmins. Uh, and he seems like a very, like, nice, gracious guy, mm-hmm. uh, which is incredible given his experience and and like the thing that i think makes this movie as as powerful as it is is that it is not only an incredible story of barry Cremens, uh who is a, a remarkable individual and and one of the things that i find um most affecting in, in this documentary is when they talk about uh you know his the hours he spends in the AOL chat rooms and the physical effect it had on him mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how he was just, he, he was making himself sick because of what he was doing, you know, and not because he wasn't eating, but because, you know, you're, you're seeing child pornography all the time and that just does something to you. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, in addition to that, I think by the end of the movie, uh, which culminates in Barry Cremens returning to the site of his molestation mm-hmm. and he sort of diffuses the power of that place mm-hmm. and the movie ends uh with uh you know a, an in- insert on the screen saying um if you've been the victim of molestation or know someone who has tell someone tell everyone and i you know i think that's one of the great messages of the movie um and then it follows that up with uh the united states government and the Catholic Church are still standing for now. Mm-hmm. And, and there like there is something that I about this documentary that is simultaneously horrifying and joyous. And it that's such a tough thing to accomplish without without getting into um emotional manipulation and 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 being a little syrupy and and treating the subject of of this film like Barry Cremens is never treated as if he's a martyr because there are plenty of people throughout the course of the movie who are like you know I don't think Barry Cremens really likes me very much or you know (laughs) like or he's kind of an asshole Mm -hmm. um 
but all that being said, I just, I like it's, yeah, it, I, I've seen this movie, uh, three times now. And every time I see it, I, I come away thinking like, man, that's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, it is, yeah, it's, it, it's just powerful without ever feeling like it's trying to be. It just is. Um, all right. So, uh, we'll stop right there. I am the winner. Um, oh wait, there's another movie to talk about. Um, Okay. Um, all right. Well, we're, we're going to take a, a short break. And when we come back, we will be discussing Duncan's Choice, uh, a little movie called uh, Best of Enemies. Uh, we'll be right back. An Evil Dead TV show? No way. Negan is coming to The Walking Dead. That's awesome. Don't you guys think a werewolf series is long overdue? Oh, hello there. Are you looking for coverage of horror on the small screen that you can't find on any other podcast? Then welcome to Evil Episodes Podcast, where we take an in-depth look at horror around the dial, covering everything from today's hits like The Walking Dead, American Horror Story, and The Strain. As well as looking back into the TV horror vault to discuss anthologies like Tales from the Crypt, Monsters, Masters of Horror. Yeah, but do any of those shows have werewolves in them? What movies will become a TV series next? Just how many more seasons will every CW show get? Where would they put some damn werewolves on the TV? Tune in to Evil Episodes Podcast for all your horror on television needs and more. I need werewolves. Hey, did I mention how Lovecraftian all this actually is? And welcome back. So yeah, we're one movie down, which means one left, and it's my pick for Bo. Um, This movie (laughs) uh, couldn't be any more different than what Bo picked, but... Actually, at the same time, it kind of has a lot of common threads. Um, Just as Barry Crimmins had a particular view on the role of government (laughs) and its inevitable downfall as he wanted to see it, um, we're going to deal with two characters who, within their own time, were heavily involved with American politics from the sidelines and try to break into it and... Basically, this documentary, Best of Enemies from 2015, um, which is directed by Robert Gordon and Morgan Neville, kind of focus on this very one year where the way that American politics would be reported by the news and how your news channels in the States would operate kind of change all in the space of one year. And it's kind of thanks to these two... Uh, intellectuals um, their intense dislike of each other and these fantastic debates that they were a part of during the 1968 uh, primaries. I believe they were the primaries, that's what they're called aren't they in the States, is when you're selecting your the the, uh, conventions. Conventions, right. Um, So the two two, uh, (laughs) intellectuals are um, author Gore Vidal and um, I I love how they describe uh, William F. Buckley like how his brother describes him and all the rest because there's a a lot of contradictions in that statement. A liberal right-wing you know, uh, political, whatever else it was, but William F. Buckley, who was behind the National Review, that's the name of it, isn't it? National Review? Yeah, the, which yep. is still a magazine that uh, is somewhat relevant today, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so these two, these two people, and how they were brought in by the the failing ABC TV network to um, go through a series of debates to sum up the day, the end of each day of the convention, um, and what I don't think they expected was that these two men disliked each other on the level they did and basically used as a platform to attack each other's ideologies. Um, you are going to hear a short clip from that and when you've when we're finished with that, we're going to return and we're going to hear if Bo enjoyed this. So uh, this clip's going to play right now. Like now to demonstrate how the English language ought to be used by two craftsmen, our guest commentators. If you view debate purely as sport, let's call it blood sport, then really all bets are off. You have one objective, and that's to win in that moment. When you attack the position of your opponent, you have to first attack it clinically and rationally. Six, five... But mostly what you have to get at is what's behind those things. What is driving the human being who is in front of you? Three, two, one. Gore Vidal. Tonight the key question for every patriot is can an aging Hollywood juvenile actor with a right-wing script defeat Richard Nixon, a professional politician, who currently represents no discernible interest except his own. Right, and so you've just heard the clip there from Best of Enemies. Now, the reason I chose this for Bo um, is because I watched it and absolutely loved it. I think it's incredible. I've watched it about three or four times since because it's a very easy watch. Uh, but I know that Bo uh, follows politics very much like I do. And if ever there was a documentary about American politics that was guaranteed to put a smile on your face and at the same time kind of leave you with a message of what if this hadn't happened? Uh, it would be this one. Uh, so, Bo, you watched this one. Um, let us know, what did you make of Best of Enemies? Well, it's very disappointing, Duncan. <laughs> uh, because when I watched this documentary... Um, I, I immediately fell in love with it. Yeah. And I need a win. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it would be it would be disingenuous of, of me to say that this was not uh, a documentary that seemed to be pulled directly from my brain onto the screen mm -hmm. uh, of you know just encapsulating things I really enjoy, which are uh, you know, political debate, um, which, you know, is not really a thing you see <laughs> on television uh, mm -hmm. here in the States anymore. And, uh, you know, they're, they're fascinating figures. William Buckley uh, as the conservative and, and Gore Vidal as the liberal. The, the documentary does a great job of describing their contributions to uh, politics, like it, for each of them, they were both seen as very important figures for each of those sides of the political uh, spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, William Buckley, um, like it gave me a renewed uh, appreciation for the impression Robin Williams does of William Buckley. Oh, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and and he's such a weird figure, you know. Um, he is he's like the thing that makes Best of Enemies so fascinating is that they're both very erudite, well-spoken individuals. Mm-hmm. They're both very smart people, but they reach completely different conclusions about the way politics should be conducted and, you know, the, the direction America's headed. You know, Buckley is conservative, uh, particularly in 68. Like, 68, for the, for listeners who don't know, um, like, the this is a, a, a time where the U.S. was in turmoil. The, you know, it was the, the rise of the, the hippie movement and the yippie movement um, as led by um, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin and, in particular, the Democratic... Uh, convention in Chicago was uh, a real uh, tinderbox mm-hmm. because Mayor Daley uh, at the time had instituted um, a policy with the police to maintain order. And while that's happening and there are all these protesters uh, who are, you know, like climbing the statue at Lincoln Park and hanging a North Vietnamese flag from it. And the police, uh, are abusive in some cases. Um, in, you know, led to, uh, another very good documentary called, uh, Chicago Eight, um, where, you know, the, the heads of this, uh, sort of alternate movement in the United States. Uh, the heads of that are, are put on trial for inciting riots and stuff. Like it, it, it's just a tumultuous time in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, the country is changing. The conservative side of, uh, the country is terrified in a lot of ways by the way the country is changing. You know, things like, uh, the civil rights movement are coming to a head. You know, this is a time when the Black Panthers are very militant. Um, it, it, it's just, you know, one of my favorite political periods in, in U.S. history in general. And then you, you introduce into this, uh, you know, fascinating political period, these two figures who represent two very different viewpoints and ideologies. And, they have uh, a series of debates. They have five debates for the Republican convention, five debates for the uh, uh, Democratic convention. And the the debates are almost less about presenting ideology, mm-hmm. which is what debates should be, right? You know, it's here's my point, here's your point, let's debate until we either reach a conclusion or reach a place where we have established arguments that leave it to uh, the listeners to decide. Um, And this becomes more about tagging the other person, you know, like Vidal and Buckley genuinely don't like one another. Yeah. And, and uh, there's a a really funny bit where later uh, Gore Vidal um, portrays William Buckley in, in a book uh, (laughs) and, uh, Describes him as a, like a sodomite, and yeah. it's it, it's very funny. Um, and you know, I yes, I'm a liberal. I definitely identify more with Gore Vidal, um, politically speaking. But mm-hmm. it, it, it's you can't deny that William Buckley is um, a brilliant guy in his own right. And even if yeah, I don't agree yeah. with him, you know, you can recognize like yeah, he is definitely scoring his points. 
Yeah. But, but that becomes what these debates are. It's just them scoring points on one another. Mm-hmm. Leading up to the point where <laughs> Vidal describes or, or calls uh, Buckley at one point a crypto fascist. Yeah. And Buckley loses his shit. Yeah, because I think that's I think that's I think that's the like to, to put in context, like Buckley had a TV show where he would invite intellectuals on and and destroy them, like absolutely systematically pick apart people from the left. He would bring them on his show and then systematically dismantle their arguments with this very apparent superiority and smugness, which Vidal hated. I mean, Vidal absolutely despised it. And he, I think what's fascinating before that that even happens, what's fascinating is that when they each get a run of attacking the other person for about three or four debates, and then they'll, you know, like, so during the Republican debate, the questions are driven from Vidal speaking from the point of view of a liberal, and then vice versa when it's the Democratic one, Buckley gets to go. And when Buckley gets to go, you start to see very, very quickly that he is going to play dirty in the way he does it. And the first thing to do is this, you know, handing over of a letter from Bobby Kennedy. Um, which he kind of hopes is going to make Vidal crack, and Vidal just kind of brushes it aside. I was like, oh, really? Oh, and I love the way he says it, like, kind of looks like the handwriting of a, someone that, you know, a manic depressive. And he's like, are you saying that? And he's like, no, I'm just saying that maybe we want to get your handwriting tested. Um, <laughs> right. You know, like, you know, just like, really, really. But, like, Vidal from the outset, his whole, I, I, I think anyway, his whole modus operandi in these debates is to get Buckley to crack, is to let people see this ugliness inside that Vidal thinks he has from the outset. Yeah, and it absolutely. happens in one beautiful moment of TV and everything that he wants. And you can see the smile on his face when he gets it because Buckley cracks. And I'll let you continue on with it. Um, but he calls him a crypto, crypto Nazi is what he calls him. Yeah. And, yeah, Buckley loses. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and Vidal had there. There was a lot of question marks over Gore Vidal's sexuality and mm-hmm. whether he was gay or not, and he never really came out and said, uh, at least to my knowledge, and, and certainly not during the course of the documentary. Do they they yeah, focus it, on it, that other than they to touch say, more on more on a different documentary that I'll talk about at the end. Yeah, so which I haven't seen that one yet, but I, I, it's definitely on the list. Um, and. So essentially, Buckley calls him a queer on television. Yeah, and that no, is... that threatens to sock him in the mouth, and when he socks him in the mouth, he will stay down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, there's a great moment, maybe my favorite moment in, in the documentary, where all the people, the talking heads, who have been discussing these debates, <laughs> um. After you see this this debate uh, reach the, this like a flashpoint where Buckley goes nuts, they cut back to all the the people who have been discussing the debates, and they're just sitting there quietly, as if trying to find the words to describe what happens. Yeah. And finally, Dick Cavett, God bless him. <laughs> Says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, correct me if I get this wrong. He, he says, like, oh, well, the network's shit. 
Um, Buckley, who, like we said before, is a guy who had a TV show where he dismantled all these different people. And I think it's his brother says, or it's his biographer that says, um, you know, that one of his strongest powers was taking someone's point of view and just dismantle it piece by piece. Like someone's argument and just pick apart all the different parts. And Vidal, from the very offset comes out with questions which are designed to put Buckley on the back foot, but Buckley then starts, well, when you say this, what do you mean by this? Because this happens this way. And it's it's just incredible seeing, you just don't see this anymore. You just don't see people. And when you see at the end what the, the outcome of that is, where you have the pro and against person on American TV and the, the way that, the arguments are just not the same. There's just, right, just right. enough knowledge in there to make you an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And that's that's kind of how it comes across. But these two guys, the, the danger, I think Vidal sums up greatly at the very end when they do their final thoughts, is that, that ultimately what these two people have done is useless. It's useless. It's sensationalised. It doesn't get to the point of the argument. There isn't enough time to fully debate the pros and cons of any politics at all. Um, it is entertainment. And that's that was his fear that that was what was going to eventually happen in American politics. And would you know, that's kind of what's happened. But at the same time, Buckley puts forward a very compelling point of view about, you know, the, the, the kind of descent of authority and the police and all the rest through through a lack of of involvement. Well, not necessarily a lack of involvement, but a, a, a particular point of view of, you know, these these are the campaign these are the points that future politicians and presidents will run on and they will be elected on. And he was right. So both of them at the end had scarily accurate predictions of what America would be like. And the funny thing about this documentary of twenty fifteen, um, when things are starting to pick up pace with with the selection of presidential candidates, when you look at what these two guys were preaching, they're scarily on the nose. Like, yeah. so much so that, you know, like, remove that 50, 60 years on, and you're pretty much, you could be forgiven for thinking that those debates were happening now, and they still are. And I think that's the fascinating thing, the... The, uh, the hatred that the two had toward him. There is no respect at all between the two of them. And when Buckley dies before Vidal, um, and the, the, his biographer says it's almost as if Vidal refused to die before Buckley. Yeah. And when, when you read what he wrote about him as his final thing, it's even at that point that he, he still hated him. You know, yeah. I hope it. I hope it burns in hell along with this. You know, so you know, it entertains the people. It just oh, <laughs> the most viciously petty thing you could ever say about so. As you know, when people say, "I I can't wait for him to die so I can piss on his grave," and that's you know, like people get the idea of that, but that person's not going to physically go out and piss on someone's grave. Vidal pissed on his grave. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Through through words, and it's, it, oh. I would not be surprised if he did it literally. <laughs> you know, I mean, they they the animosity that they display is, it, I mean, it's tangible. Even even you know, almost fifty years later, and yeah. through you know a television screen as you're watching this documentary, there is no question in your mind that these individuals dislike each other on a fundamental level. 
Yeah. You know, that they represent to one another the thing that is most wrong with the the country and humanity. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. what's, um, what was quite interesting as well is the fact that they also include um, the 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 kind of account, the events that had been written by the two themselves and the voices they picked for it are brilliant because you have, on one side, you have Kelsey Grammer doing... Uh, Kelsey Grammer as Buckley and you have John Lithgow doing um, Vidal and the two of them. And, you know, when they talk about, you know, that after each... They basically document the chronicles of, of, of what they went through, and you get the you get them on screen talking to each other. Obviously, you see the debate, and then you get what each other thought of the performance at the end, or what where they thought it was going, or um, the the, the kind of the story in between what happened between the events and all the rest. And there's that great great line of at the when you know when uh, <laughs> when Buckley breaks character um, and calls him the rather offensive word and all the rest. Um, um, he notes that as soon as the cameras stop rolling, Vidal leans in very smugly and says to him, oh, well, we gave them their money's worth tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... It's, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, I think, and the, 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 I think the, the really interesting thing about the way it parallels the, the, the other documentary, Call Me Lucky, is this idea of you think you know where the documentary is going for the first half, and at the end it kind of gets very more personal and looks into it, and then at the end you're left with the outcome of this, which is this understanding that American news coverage of... Because back in the 60s, like uh, the news channels, the big channels were, were in the centre. There was no left of politics, there was no right of politics, there was no Fox News Network preaching one thing and a CNN preaching something else or, or anything like that at all. And this is the catalyst. This is the catalyst for sensationalised coverage of of the news which then spirals out with from that, which I think is the is the interesting thing is you can almost look at that as the focal point, ground zero for everything that comes after. And you hear people speaking very much against, well, not against, but being very critical of the way it's covered now. Um, yeah, and, and as an American, Duncan, uh, mm-hmm. which I am, not sure if you're <laughs> aware of that, but um, yeah, it's, it's really frustrating that under the guise of debate, um, you you have you know these two sides presented, and actually one of the more telling clips that they show is I think it was CNN, maybe Fox, can't remember who uh, was was sort of famous for having like six or eight people all shouting at once. Yeah, and that's what the the Buckley Vidal debates devolve into this, which is less erudite, well read people arguing similar points less intelligently yeah which becomes just screaming at one another and um yeah it's it, it it's sort of frightening in a way mm-hmm. uh because you can definitely see the the through line of this moment in television that garnered ratings but didn't necessarily illuminate anything. I think that's a word Buckley uses to describe this, that it, it doesn't, this sort of television isn't illuminating. It's just yeah. entertaining. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a great point, you know, and I think that's sort of the political coverage that we 
generally see now is news as entertainment, not information. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, it's you. <laughs> I don't think you have to look much further than say the Trump candidacy. You know, well, in fact, Trump um, three weeks ago actually mentioned William F. Buckley. That's not a stunner. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it mentioned him twice in one of his one of his uh, attacks against. Um, I think it's uh, is it Cruz? Cruz is that the yeah Ted Cruz? Yeah, Ted Cruz against him in particular to do with his like Ted Cruz opinions on New York, um, and obviously Trump hit back with that. So I mean, and and Buckley's been dead for a fair few years now as well. So. Um, to see that that's it's still a name that rings through. I think it's quite telling as well that, you know, he's, he has kind of close connection with with people like Reagan and then Reagan's ascendancy on the back of basically saying, you know, from that debate and uh, Reagan being elected gave Buckley kind of what he wanted, which was they, they call him the kingmaker, like presidential candidates wanted to be seen around him or have the picture taken with him because it was almost the seal of approval Republicans to elect or you know I think that's quite a quite a fascinating thing where Vidal ultimately ends up on the sidelines writing very scathing at America he's an author I've always actually been very interested of and the other documentary I'll just kind of talk about it just very briefly um the, there, there is a one specifically out for Vidal, um, which came out a couple of years before, um, and what it does is it actually documents. He's like it does kind of cover the, um, the the debates, but in a very small part, kind of covers his life, and it's the United States of Amnesia. Uh, from 2013, and it's excellent. It's, it's worth checking it as well, because it goes more into his background and his involvement with politics, and etc. But I, I, I just think it's a, I think it's an incredible documentary as well, in that I don't even think you need to be interested in politics to enjoy this, just to, to understand that, because the, the, you don't need to understand it, because the debates themselves were less about politics and more, more about personal attacks, so... <laughs> And did you start? Have you found yourself in conversation doing the Buckley smile and that the eyebrow raise bow? Yeah. And you, you're making a point. Uh, uh yeah. Um, <laughs> I imagine you do it. Yeah, um, it's it. Yeah. It freaks people out, and uh, I, I'm always a fan of that. Um, yeah, it's it's an incredible documentary, and and it has this sort of universal um, import. When when you look at the the point that the uh, filmmakers uh, Gordon and Neville are are making about um, modern pol- political coverage, not necessarily mo- modern politics, but at a certain point, political coverage, uh, you know, the the politics is is the uh, the extension of the coverage uh, because these politi- politicians need to be on camera. They need to be talked about. Uh, they need to be in in the the public eye, and to do that, they have to they have to feed into the you know this political entertainment machine. Um, so you know Barry Crimmins, take it down. Let's uh, let's start over. Um, I think with this pair of documentaries, we just need to combine the two subject matters. And it, it does it does kind of feel like you know. Like Vidal and Buckley kind of set the stage for for Barry Crimmins' sweeping condemnation of the American government. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I quite like that idea. I quite like that. Yeah. 
So, uh, Best of Enemies, the the prequel, in a way, to uh, Call Me Lucky. <laughs> um, but uh, the time has come, Duncan, to to decide who has come most correct. <sighs> and this is one of the toughest decisions uh, we we have come to. Because hmm. um, I, I, like, I think both of us agree that these are both incredible documentaries that have social relevance. They're entertaining. Um, there's nothing about either of these documentaries that is off putting other than possibly some of the subject matter of call me lucky, which can be, um, you know, a trigger for, for those who may have experienced yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, or know someone who experienced, uh, you know, that kind of horrible abuse. Uh, but that being said, I, like neither of these movies would ever be difficult to recommend for me. You know, oh no, it, no, it would... definitely not. I've already actually recommended "Call Me Lucky" at, um, on another podcast that I re- uh, recorded earlier on in the week. As a, if you have Netflix in the UK right now, this should be top of your list. So right. I, I think, I think, that, I think they are. I think you're right. I think they're both incredible. Um. I mean, yeah, <laughs> right. I, I, you're, you're science, so I'm going to. I, for 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 a change, will kick us off. Okay, right? I'll kick us off. Um, what we have found out doing this show, since we started doing it, like well over a year ago now, um, is that when we come to this point, generally we both agree. We might not know that we both agree, but we both agree. Um, and it just takes a bit of coercing of someone else for them to say, well, actually, when you think about it like that, you're right. I'm going to put out on the table right now that I don't think that's going to happen on this episode because I genuinely don't think there's anything that I dislike about either. And I think they're both shot incredibly I think they're. I think they both speak of important figures in different mediums, but certainly important figures and kind of cover time periods that you either grew up through or you've grew grew up through the after effects, the shockwave, so to speak, of those events. So I think from that point of view, like you say, they're both highly entertaining, funny. Uh, but have like real substance behind it. These are not superficial documentaries, and I think that's where the difficult difficulty comes in. The difficulty comes in and us trying to pick one movie over the other, which is better. And I don't think that's possible in this circumstance because I don't think one of these movies is better than the other. I think they're both as good as documentaries get. I think they're, you know, like if, if you're a documentary filmmaker out there, you have an idea to make a documentary, this is your benchmark. You know, if you want greatness, this is your benchmark. And the fact that both these documentaries have been overlooked for Oscars this year speaks, yes. speaks yes. more about how documentaries are viewed um, from a critical point of view than necessarily the quantity or, quantity or quality of what is contained within them. Because The Look of Silence is a great documentary. I watched it first because you sent it to me as the first pick and I watched it. It is nominated for an Oscar. The Act of Killing to me is the better of the two. I think The Act of I Killing, it's like, because when you do it again, it's not as unique. 
you know what I mean? It's the, the, the first time that was done, it was very, it was a unique point of view putting forward world atrocities. So when you do it again in a slightly different way, it still comes back to, well, I'm now comparing it to something else. I've never seen uh, a comedian's life story or impact or a fascinating look at someone portrayed the way that Call Me Lucky does. And that's to Bobcat's credit, because I, like I said before, I, th- I find him a really interesting filmmaker who has an idea or an opinion that he wants to put out in some form. He puts forward a message which is very much... It's not anti-America. It's just that it's that, that, that comedian's look of the world, which is you you kind of look at things slightly off to the side um, and, and you can kind of cut through a lot of rhetoric and a lot of bullshit and put forward a message. Um, Best of Enemies, to me, doesn't have the same, really, because the, the, the two documentary um, filmmakers in the case of that one have this platform already. They have this iconic debate war between these two intellectuals but what they have in their favour is they can then look at 60 years on or 50 years on or whatever and then say well look at the after effect look at the toll it took on both individuals look at the after effect and look at the outcome look where we are now in 2015 and you know what these two guys predicted would happen has happened and these two guys were on completely different sides of the political spectrum but they were both right um, they could both see where things were going, and that is infinitely fascinating. So, to sum it up, Bo, I genuinely can't. <laughs> I, I, I can't pick a winner this week. I can't pick a winner. I know we have to pick a winner this week, and that's 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 in the rules. The rules for Duncan and Bo is we need to we need to have that winner, and it's it. I don't think I, I I don't have a favorite over the two of these. I think they're both phenomenal movies. I think they are, like you said at the start, probably two of the best movies we've ever discussed on this show. And we have discussed movies by you know very influential and credible filmmakers. Um, it's just it's impossible for me to do. I, I I can't find the wiggle room and. Let me. I think, I, well, I was going to say, I think what may happen on this show this week is I think we may have to to talk about the Winter Beast card. All right. <sighs> let, let me let me make an argument for Call Me Lucky as the winner, um, because we've established these are both incredible movies. Mm-hmm. I feel like Gore Vidal, William Buckley, and these debates are higher profile. It's a, it's a thing that you could have come to. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if you were, you know, sort of a student of American politics. Like I knew who these people were before I ever watched the documentary. The documentary certainly gave me information I didn't have and, and framed these debates in a way that I had never thought of them before. And all, all the things a good documentary does. Call Me Lucky, on the other hand, takes an individual who you could have gone your entire life and never heard the name of and shines a light on Barry Crimmins and recognizes his importance in a way that could have been complete. Like, he could have died in anonymity Mm -hmm. for most people. 
You know, like I'd, I'd heard of him just because I was a big stand-up comedy fan, and I remember him from those days of doing television spots. But I certainly didn't have any information about, you know, the uh, the abuse he suffered and, and his work with people and uh, in similar circumstance and so forth. So the the argument I would pose is that Call Me Lucky is the better selection only because it brings to light a subject that would have been overlooked had there not been this documentary. That's a kind of loose argument. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a great argument. I'm saying in the, in the scope of things that if we're trying to, to, to split hairs and decide between two great pieces of documentary filmmaking, which is which has any sort of edge, that would be the edge I would give Call Me Lucky. I, again, not saying it's a great argument. I'm saying it's an argument. And... Uh, and I will. All right, I will. I will do you one one better. Um, <laughs> uh, we do. We all right. The winner beast option is always on the table. As on the table, and, As... and we did not describe this earlier in the episode. But if you're a new listener, the winner beast argue, uh, clause of this show is that you can invoke the name of the greatest film ever ever created, <laughs> Winter Beast. Uh, which, if you haven't seen it, stick around. We'll watch it at the end of the season, as is our <laughs> tradition. Um, and that gives you an automatic win. Mm-hmm. I'm going to propose something that we have not done since season one. Oh! Which is to agree that we both get a point this week... Uh, that it is, it is the tie. And we, right. it has been a long time since we've used a tie, but I don't think there has ever been a better example of two films that are so close in quality to one another that it is almost impossible to decide that one is substantially better than the other. That we, I feel like we have both recommended films to one another, even looking at it from the personal point of view of like, did I give you the better recommendation or did you recommend the better yeah. film for me? Like going at that angle, I still feel like it's a tie because you gave me a documentary that you knew I would love. I gave you a documentary that maybe I wasn't sure you would love, but I thought it was so good that at the very least it was something you needed yeah. to see. H- had we spoke about comedians in the past and you knew who my favorite comedians were, this documentary is perfectly placed for me. Yeah, it's like I mean, 100% perfectly placed for me because that's the sort of comedy I like. So. Yeah, I knew you like Bill Hicks and Billy Connolly and, you know, that not that Billy Connolly is quite as political as Bill Hicks, but, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and Barry Crimmins is very much a proto Bill Hicks. And, he and, is, yeah. Like, to me, he is, he's like, Bill Hicks refines a bit of that, that, yeah. that kind of aggression and, and puts it, uh, you know, very much like Dennis Leary refines what Bill Hicks does, you know what I mean? It's the, it's that angle. He's like the, you can see where it comes from. You can see where, where the source, you know, the, the source of that comes from. And had you known like that on an angle, you picked the perfect choice for me. You picked yeah. something which and it is dark enough to get me happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like right, right. It, there's nothing, a, ha- uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, both of us have selected the perfect movie for each other. So, yeah, so my weak argument of you're dealing with a relatively obscure subject matter with with Call Me Lucky that elevates something that would be obscure to something that um, gets a lot more attention by by virtue of there being a documentary based around the subject matter. Um, That's the best I can do. And, you know, I, part of me, part of me wants to, I don't want to draw. I don't want, I don't want to do the draw really? thing. I think, okay. well, yeah, we, we, we did that last year and. All right. So no draws. I, I will. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> right. I, I want to take the draw off the table and what I'll do is there's no, there's like no one loses this week, really. <laughs> well, right, like, really? No one, no one loses this week at all. Two Two of the best movies I've seen in a, you know quite a while. Um, right, we'll we'll give you the win this week. We'll give you the win this week. I don't need I'm, your pity. No, 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 no. We'll give you the win this week. We'll give you. The, I, I, whilst I don't necessarily agree, the greatest argument is that it highlights a comedian. I think that the two figures covered in my documentary are huge characters, like huge, huge characters that have so much written about them. There's so much media out there. I could type into YouTube just now and I could get Gore Vidal clips or William F. Butler clips. I don't know if I would get the same level of that with Barry Crimmins. And he is a fascinating character who, if if Bob, if, you know, if the documentary had completely sucked um, wasn't great or you know just been a failure on any other levels the fact that someone has made a documentary about him I think does credit to his craft um, the fact that it's a really fucking good documentary incredibly well made um, and very funny I can't stress that enough I laughed a lot um, during Call Me Lucky I would not lose sleep over saying it's the it's the I will say, I can't say it's the better movie, because I don't think it's the better movie, but it's the better pick. And I can live with that. It's the better pick. Yeah, I, and I can live with that as well. Right, we'll, we'll go with that. We'll All go right. with that. I, you know, the only the only reason I hesitate is it almost sounds like you're, you're, you're conceding rather than saying, uh, it, it, like... You, you it, I, I don't hear the conviction in your voice. That's yeah, I my don't, problem. I, I, my, I don't think you're, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hear the conviction in my voice because I genuinely think these movies are on exactly the same level. I think they're on exactly the same level. So it then comes down to, like you say, did I, I, I felt I picked the perfect documentary for you. Um, you have confirmed that you picked the perfect documentary for me. Um, and I've confirmed that. So it then comes down to, at the end of the show, what movie would be the first one at my mouth to recommend to other people? And I don't know if I would automatically recommend Best of Enemies to every person. Because, I, like I say, there is, there's an importance about it there. But you do kind of need to be on some level politically minded and like really, really interested in where... Like America, the, the the greatest crime against my documentaries, maybe it doesn't go into enough detail about William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal because it doesn't have enough time to do that. You can't levy the same accusation at Call Me Lucky because it covers his life. It covers his life, good times and bad, warts and all. Um, and that's the one, like I say, I've already recommended 
call me lucky on a show that I did earlier on this week. Um, because I know that that one will speak more universally than my choice. Um, All right. Well, I will, uh, I will take it happily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will reiterate, both of these movies are absolutely worth your time. Uh, not yeah. just worth your time. Like, seek them out. The, these are two movies you should see. Both uh, on Netflix in the UK. Yeah. I think they're both on Netflix in the States. So That is the case. If you have uh, a Netflix streaming plan, you have no excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, both of these movies. I'll tell you what. You can watch both these movies uh, back-to-back in just yeah. a hair over three hours. Yeah, then that's the best way to do it. Yeah. And... Um, so as uh, uh, <laughs> the the winner of this episode, that brings us back to a tie. Mm-hmm. Um, there are still two winter beasts out there <laughs> to be used in the remaining four episodes uh, before we get to the final tie-breaking episode, uh, Duncan and Bo come incorrect. I think uh, the winter beast, to me, the reason I could not in good conscience do it this week, the winter beast to me is when you know the other person's got the better movie. I, see, yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 That's why I feel like a, like a draw would have been preferable to someone pulling the winter beast. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. But yeah, so Call Me Lucky is the winner of, uh, episode eight, uh, me as well, uh, by virtue of, of the selection. But the the only real loser here is the the listener who chooses not to watch both of these movies. They Agreed, one hundred percent. Yeah, go seriously. I know we always say at the end of the show we're, we're still to come across a movie that the other one dislikes. Um, we can always find that kind of positive angle or something in it that we you know we like and would recommend every movie we've covered. I would recommend um, definitely. But this is the top tier of recommendations. These are two movies that there is no excuse not yeah. to go and see. And there is absolutely no excuse that neither one of these feature. I, I can't stress that. Awards should be flung at these movies because this, this is how you do interesting documentaries now in 2016. Yeah. This is how they're done and they're there. So Yeah, and particularly something like Call Me Lucky seems yeah. like perfect Oscar bait because it is about tragedy. And Oscar yes. loves tragedy and <laughs> deformity. Yeah, I don't understand. I genuinely don't understand because your first pick is up for an Oscar. Your first pick for the show right. Right? is there. Your look of silence is there. It's up for Oscar contention. And Call Me Lucky is a better movie. It is. It's a better documentary. Yeah. So I yeah. me, that's a no-brainer. So yeah, it's, a, it's a real shame that... I, I, I mean, I would love for both of these movies to be nominated. Maybe more so, call me lucky, just because it is it is such a you know kind of an out of nowhere documentary for most people. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> weirdos like me who follow the the life and times of Bobcat Goldthwait aside. Um, and that... he should he should be incredibly impressed. I mean, that genuinely is. For for him as a filmmaker, that is a level of maturity in filmmaking which is is up there. You know I mean that is that's up there on the the, the kind of upper echelons of filmmakers. Now he has arrived, and he's always been an interesting filmmaker. But yeah, he's like real. If, you, if we'd finished watching, if I blind saw that and you told me that was Zed from Police Academy did that, I wouldn't believe you. I'll I'll tell you one of my favorite moments from from Call Me Lucky um, that. Like it's one of the few times where 
you get a glimpse of Bobcat Goldthwait behind the camera. Yeah. There are a couple of times where you hear him talking to like uh, Barry Crimmins' sister mm-hmm. um, from behind the camera and so forth, which are, you know, are very heavy scenes and yeah. as, as they begin to discuss some of the darker parts of his life. But there's one great moment where they're shooting Barry Crimmins' house. And, uh, you like Barry Crimmins is doing like, well, this is where I grew up. And he points to a house over his right shoulder that is out of frame. <laughs> yeah. And Bobcat Goldthwait says, wait a second. Is that your house over there? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, son of a bitch, we framed the wrong house. Yeah. And, and that's the whole scene. And it's just this nice little touch of like, you know, we're, we're acknowledging that this is a, a, a documentary, but we're also acknowledging that there's an element of absurdity and, and fun mm-hmm. that is part of the DNA of it uh, yeah. before you get into some of the, the darker stuff. And it, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, obviously I think Bobcat Goldthwait has been a good director for a long time. And I think this documentary, like you said, I, th- I think puts him in the level of, of directors that I, which is true of me already, but I would watch anything that he directs because he's got, he's got a perspective and very mm-hmm. few directors have that. There are plenty of journeyman directors that can, can give you a good color and a nice frame. Uh, but Bobcat Goldthwait, I think cares about his subject matter in a way that a lot of filmmakers don't. Agreed. Um, um all right. So, whew. <laughs> well, I said, we said at the start it was going to be epic. So. Yeah, I, I feel like I need like an IV, uh, <laughs> a glucose drip. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, let's wrap this up with uh, uh, a quick discussion of uh, what we're going to be watching in the coming days. And I'll, I'll just throw mine out there right now. I'm going to be watching more of The Expanse, getting caught up on that, and uh, mm-hmm. I still need to watch uh, The Revenant. Ah, you uh, you are in for a treat with that movie. That's I, a movie that punishes you. <laughs> I like being punished. I pay for it at several <laughs> local dungeons. Um, <laughs> what, what about you, Duncan? Um, coming up, I probably the the returned season two. I'm currently working my way through Mr. Robot on TV, which has proven to be a joy. Oh, that's um, so good, yeah. Such a good TV show. And then after that, um, after the return, I then have the privilege of watching a wee TV show that you spoke very highly of. I loved the first season, but Fargo season two, which I've also heard wonderful things about. So very much looking forward to getting to that. So there's more TV and less movie. And then obviously we kick off a six-week journey into one of my most anticipated TV show returns of of 2016, which is the X Files. So I can't wait to get into that. Yeah, I want to believe Duncan. Well, there's some there's some advanced reviews that have trickled their way online, and um, from what I'm reading, I'm excited. Uh, there's very few. There have been things negatively placed against the show, but an acknowledgement that these things were there in the original X Files run of TV shows anyway, and when I read that I was like, I wouldn't necessarily call that a negative I would say that's the charm of the show so yeah, I'm, I can't wait, can't wait Yeah, so we will uh, we will be recording that uh, very shortly, actually by the by the time you hear this the first episode will probably be out, because this usually drops uh, a few days after and we're going to be uh, pretty quick to get mm-hmm. the uh, the X-Files episodes up, so um, yeah, very exciting 
Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Duncan, where can uh, folks find you uh, should they want to hear more? Uh, I, my main show is the podcast Under the Stairs. It's out there at tputs.com. We're on Legion Podcast Network. You can find us on iTunes. Um, I have a new show coming very, very soon. Uh, it will be it will be live in less than two weeks, and that's Chronicle, um, which will be a show which runs seasons of six episodes every two weeks and is looking at some of the more known and obscure European horror movie titles, and not only just discussing the movie, but the stories behind some of the characters that were involved in the movie, because as we find out from doing some of these documentaries on this show tonight, sometimes the stories behind things or the characters involved are more interesting than the actual movies themselves. Um, let me correct you uh, oh, all right. about, about the stories being interesting. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> You you gave the website as tputs.com. It is T-puts actually cast. yes, yes. So, I want to make sure people find you. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, I'm looking forward to Chronicle quite a bit. Like I said, uh, you know, I'll be doing Bose Chronicle uh, dropping a day after yours. <laughs> yeah, the, the fun, <laughs> I can't wait to hear that one. <laughs> uh, the, the the first episode's pretty much done, um, and it's it's a higher production value than I, I kind of pride myself on being. I, I like clean recordings. Um, I like things that are entertaining. Um, all the shows that I do, and there there are quite a few of them now. Uh, I like to think are all entertaining from a different aspect and appeal to certain groups and all the rest. Chronicle to me is the one that I'm hoping appeals to everyone, uh, even non horror fans. Uh, so it's it will be different to any podcast, in my opinion, different to any horror podcast you will ever have heard before. Um, and it just has a kind of the the kind of vibe behind the show is more about just. I mean, they're going to be short episodes. It's more about just something you can just shove on and listen to and kind of immerse yourself in. So that's the plan. Um, Hopefully, hopefully that pays off. It has been several months in the planning, so kind of looking forward to finally getting that one off the ground and out. All right, I'm uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and I don't say that just because you're on this show. <laughs> I mean, partly, but not totally. Um, I, if you want to find more of me, you can uh, you can find me uh, guesting on uh, shows like Devour the Podcast and um, the Grave Shift Radio. Um, you can find me here at mm-hmm. Duncan and Bo Come Correct, and also uh, the Shodcast, uh, which is the video game podcast I do. You can find uh, all of that stuff at legionpodcasts.com or on Twitter at legionpodcasts. Uh, you can also find the video game stuff at uh, sdfgaming.com or on Twitter at sdfgaming. Um, and drop us a line, uh, on the Facebook page. Uh, if you go to facebook.com forward slash Legion podcasts, uh, you can see all the latest posts up there. And, uh, if you have any questions or, uh, comments or, uh, want to recommend a movie that perhaps we have not, uh, discussed, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, very, very curious as always to, uh, to hear what listeners think of the show. Um, I don't think I'm forgetting anything. I think uh, well, it. yeah, there are a couple of things you're forgetting, which I will I will spring into gear here. If you're in the UK, um, 
pure UK resident, and we have quite a few UK listeners uh, and supporters of the show, then you'd probably like to know that next month, Bo's movie, the movie that he wrote, um, Lost After Dark, is finally making its way to a format that you can watch on a UK player. It's getting released on DVD in the UK in February, and we'll obviously, I, I don't know if Bo will because he's a modest man, but I'll, I'll promote it quite a bit when it when it finally arrives and I can get my hands on it. So, yeah, that's the one thing. And also, you've got books, sir. You never talk about your books. Uh, yeah, 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 I don't. Um... But yeah, if you go to uh, Amazon.com and search for my name, Bo Ransdell, um, or uh, Lazarus and the Wife Who Came Back is the uh, the title of books one and two of mm-hmm. uh, of that series. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, go go buy one. See what you think. <laughs> um, they're not expensive. I think at, at least the first one is only ninety nine cents. So you know, it's a buck. I yeah. see almost none of that. <laughs> So, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I appreciate you bringing it up. I'm actually, uh, I'm, uh, working on some other writing right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, so fantastic. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been, been, uh, had the bug lately, Duncan, um, finishing up a rewrite of a, uh, of a new script. And that has led me to, uh, some, some other writing that, uh, I'm very, very excited to share, uh, at, at the end of the journey. Um, but, uh, yeah, much appreciated. And, and legionpodcast.com, like I said, uh, for all your podcast needs, uh, we are also, uh, happy to welcome the hell being, uh, hell Ming. Yeah. Uh, like Ming, the merciless, uh, power hour as mm-hmm. a, a new show over there, which is uh, a ton of fun. Uh, cause they're not doing just like horror movies. They're doing kind of genre films, but not necessarily horror genre. Yeah. And, uh, the first episode is uh crawl and dragon slayer. Yeah. Which are are two movies that are fun to hear, uh, you know, Ricky and Danny talk about. So, um, yeah, give that show a a shot. A lot of you have, and I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, yeah, the second episode of that should be uh, along shortly, as well as you know, relative newcomers like uh, uh, Black Annis mm-hmm. uh, has a new episode out, and uh, those are always really really good. And uh, uh, the yeah, I just, I, you know, Girls Will Be Ghouls, I think, is is a super fun and interesting show. With a, it's a, a pers- great show. Yeah, yeah it's a great a, show. with a perspective that you don't often hear from, you know, female horror fans. And, um, yeah, so uh, check uh, some of those shows out. And um, in the meantime, if I may speak for Duncan, we will be back in a fortnight. Well said, sir. Thank you. Uh, to discuss uh, two more movies as we reach the final third of season two, and uh, and it's hash never been this close. It's never been it, this close. It hasn't, and it's. I think it's only going to get more combative. Yeah. So <laughs> this next week we're just going to be calling each other names. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to go real buckly on you next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of raised eyebrows, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you are a terrible person, Duncan. Um, <laughs> your film is bad, and you uh, should feel bad. It's going to stop me in my mouth and hope I stay down. Yeah. <laughs> I'll wait here. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, thanks uh, to everyone listening, and uh, say goodnight, Duncan. Good night, folks. Speak to you soon.